0: Amen. Thank you, Andy Fleming. Good afternoon, church. It's really great to be together. What an amazing week we have had here in the congregation. Uh, really, uh, I'd say it's been joyous on one. Uh, and frankly, that's as close as I get to Francis, uh, you know, it's it's really been awesome just seeing two very strong-willed people with character uh, wrestle with God. And, uh, and you know, when you wrestle with God, you don't win unless you surrender, okay? You, you don't win wrestling with God. Uh, but any one of us who's honest about what it means to be a Christian knows that there's a wrestling involved. The spirit in us uh, wants to do one thing, but the flesh wants to do something else. And uh, we just can't blame the flesh. We need to understand ourselves. And even what was read in our communion, Jesus wrestled with his flesh. It was real. And communion is so important because Uh, It sets us up for the week to be thinking about, of course, what Jesus did in going to the cross and just the power that was unleashed in his resurrection and in the power of his perfect sacrifice. It really is awesome. So I just want to say another just warm welcome to Joy and to Francis, and it's great to have you together and uh, have you in the family, and uh, we're excited for what God is doing and will do. Uh, Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew 22 just sort of reviewing these kingdom parables, Jesus had, had had said that the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. And he said that these will be given through the parables. That's why he spoke them. And so, uh, you know, we've already reviewed, we've had five lessons so far, and it's just been interesting to kind of see the the truths that we have have heard and and seen and and hopefully even wrestled with to some extent because some of these truths are challenging uh, The parable of the weeds and the parable of the nets uh, Which sort of uh, were the bookends of the parables in matthew 13 Really really make us face a reality every human being faces one of two outcomes either eternal life or eternal condemnation. You, you can't escape that. That's, that's actually how the universe works. Now, God wants all people to be saved, but and He's done everything on His side possible to make that happen, but man must respond. And so there is a choice in that, and we, we call that lesson an inconvenient truth. Uh, then we looked at the parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the yeast, and the reign of Christ, the kingdom of Christ... It, it naturally fills the universe. When Jesus was made Lord of all, when God gave him the glory he had before the creation of the earth, I mean, he was exalted. And uh, he poured out his Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and he filled the universe with himself. Uh, he had been a man. But uh, through the resurrection, God restored to him his full power of divinity. And what's interesting is... Um, that was the parable of the mustard seed, but the parable of the yeast said the kingdom of God is like yeast that a woman works through the dough. In other words, it doesn't go through the dough unless somebody's doing something. And if you look at the structure of those parables, you realized that the woman's talking about us. That our hearts, we have to surrender to God for His yeast to work all the way through. He doesn't force Himself on anyone. He invites Himself. And uh, He's He's... The best co-worker you ever have. But he's wanting us to be with him and and work with him in that. Then the parable of the treasure and the parable of the pearl. I mean, the parable of the pearl tells us God's willing to give up everything. And didn't he? In Jesus Christ, what an amazing message. But then there was the parable of the treasure. And the man, that was us, had to go away and sell everything he had just to qualify just to be able to receive that inheritance. Very interesting how Jesus used those parables. And then we talked about the parable of the unmerciful servant. And that's quite a lesson, a very challenging one. Because there's a connection between our willingness to forgive and remaining in God's forgiveness. If we're not willing to pass on His grace, we actually can find ourselves eventually outside of it. And so, uh, this is a very challenging parable, a very challenging lesson. Nothing's probably more challenging to each one of us than to forgive when we feel wronged. And then the parable of the workers. The first will be last, the last will be first. And, you know, we all sympathize with those workers who work the whole day. And then when they're time to get paid, they got paid the same that worked for an hour. How would you feel if that happened to you at work? Someone in your job place only worked one hour and got the full salary, you know. Uh, it's happened maybe, okay? It yeah. wasn't well, supposed to, but maybe. I was going to make a joke and say, that's called the boss, but I know Scott and I know other bosses and that's not true. But, but the point is, you know, we, we know that there's injustice. But the fact is, the wages in this case, it's the only time this word wages is ever used of eternal life. These wages are in fact a gift and no one deserves them. It's just a gift to be invited in to God's vineyard. And so there's a great lesson there. It challenges our humanistic view of salvation and the possibility of deserving it through our own actions. God requires that we respond in faith to his will, but it's still re- still based in his generosity, his provision, his gifts. It's, it's still about him, even though he said we must respond. So now we come to a parable, let me see, this will be... We've studied now six, eight. This will be the ninth parable in the kingdom parables. And let's just read this together. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14. So Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen, fat fattened cattle, sorry, fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. "'Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find.' So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. "'Friend,' he asked, "'How did you get in here without wedding clothes?' The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, "'Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness "'where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.' For many are invited, but few are chosen. Now again, as, uh, as, as in the habit of Matthew's parables, they're, f- they're pretty strong. And we notice when we read the parable of the weeds back in Matthew 13, that was actually an extension of another parable found in Mark chapter 4, the parable of the growing seed. And the parable of the growing seed actually is, is just descriptive. There's no great tension in it. A man goes out. He sows seed during the night. He doesn't know it. He doesn't do anything. It grows, and after a while, he has a harvest. And wow, growing seed! But what that's turned into into the kingdom parable that Matthew records is that there's these weeds competing with the good seed, and the weeds were planted by the enemy. And then the servants have to come, and the servants are like, "Should we rip them up?" The servant, the the master said, "No, leave them there." And you know, the story goes on. There's a sorting on the harvest day. And it ends actually the same way this parable that we just read. Some were thrown outside. Pretty shocking. Let's just read the parable in Luke that corresponds to this, the parable of the banquet. And it's over in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 15. And this idea of a banquet is an Old Testament idea. This idea that we'll be at the table of the Lord. And, uh, you know, who likes to go out to eat? Well, who wants to be at the table of the Lord, you know? I mean, uh, we're, we're talking about serious upgrade here. You know, we're talking about a buffet beyond understanding. And so, uh, Jesus happened to be at a banquet, and there was already some interesting things that had happened in Luke 14. But let's just see what happens in, in verse 15 says, one of those at the table with him heard this. He said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And of course, we all would say amen to that. Okay, what an amazing image. But Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servants, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, if it wasn't for that very last line, we would have felt like this, this story just took a turn, and it all it's all good. I mean, yeah, it's very sad these guys refused the invitation. But... The servant was sent out to get others and bring them in. You know what do we see here from this parable? Advance invitations were sent, sent out, and then at a set time the invitees were informed it's time to come. But unfortunately, all those originally invited made excuses and refused to come. Then the master became angry, told his servants to go to the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor the crippled, blind, and lame. Now this is interesting. Just bring them in. He didn't go out and invite them. They just You know, especially the blind, the lame, the crippled. You can just carry them in. Pick them up and bring them in. Well, that was just from the streets and alleys of the town. When the servant did so, there was still more room. The master then sent out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. You know, so now... Now, this is kind of a different aspect here. Bring them in and make them come in. But see, uh, what he's talking about is this change. And then the master's final conclusion, I tell you, none of those who are invited shall taste my dinner. You know, simple observations of this parable. Being invited isn't the same as attending. Getting an invitation isn't eating at the feast. They're two separate things. But what's interesting in Luke's version... Those in need are those who will attend, not those who are self-sufficient. Those that have things to do of their own, they're busy doing what they want, aren't going to respond to God, because God's asking them to do something. And if you're busy doing what you want, you can't do what God wants. Well, what makes Matthew's version more intense Well, this isn't just a regular banquet. It's a wedding banquet for a king's son. And of course, that doesn't take much imagination to know what he's talking about. Pretty much identifies it clearly. This is the final banquet. This is the wedding banquet we read about in Revelations 21. This is the the bride, the church, and Christ being united in heaven forever. It's an amazing picture. But not only did the original invitees in this parable, this, the one we read first, refuse to come multiple times. In other words, they'd been invited, then they were told, and they were told, and they wouldn't come. Uh, okay, that's one thing not to come. But then they turned around, and they, they basically uh, mistreated the king's servants and killed them. I mean, we're talking way more intense than the Luke version. The Luke version, well, they just don't get to come to the feast. Matthew's version, it's like, you know what? That's it. It's over. No more chance for you. Judgment was immediate. And then finding new guests for the banquet, the, the emphasis is on the inviting. They're going to go out and invite and uh, more people. And it actually says, invite everyone. It sounds a little more like uh, Matthew 28. Go and invite everyone. To this banquet. God wants everyone there. So there's no emphasis on the target audience of those in need. And and it says that the servants did this and they brought in everyone, good and bad. But unfortunately, someone came to the wedding banquet inappropriately dressed, and so didn't get to stay. Though they'd actually taken the trouble to come. They'd heard the invitation, they'd come, but they weren't dressed. You know, this parable. Divides up naturally, really, into three parts. First is the situation of the original invitees. And this teaching about what was going to happen to the Jewish nation, it was already going up throughout the Gospel of Matthew. This isn't the first time. Uh, Jesus was speaking very strongly that if the Jews didn't accept his message, they would not be saved. So, he's, a, he's just... But what's, what I think is really encouraging here is, God's intention for the Jews was always the wedding banquet. His intention was always that it should end with them sitting in his banquet. That was his goal. And and sadly, they didn't make it. But also, you know, it's a very tough lesson here because they actually ended up putting his prophets to death. Um, The Jews, both in their approach to the law and their nationhood, they thought they, they became focused on those things and proud about those things. And couldn't hear what Jesus was saying. And so they turned away and didn't come to the banquet. And, uh, you know, as I said, they, 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 uh, they killed the prophets. And in the end, the judgment would come. The Jews were dispersed. You know, now we think of Israel as a nation, but that only dates back to 1949. And for more than 18 centuries... There was no nation of Israel. The nation was completely dispersed. And the temple was destroyed in the in the lifetime of some of the first generation of the church. It was destroyed and never been rebuilt. And so this judgment did happen. And that covenant is closed and it's over. But now we move on to the second part, the good news. The kingdom is for everybody. Isn't that great news? Amen. There's not anybody you can imagine, not a single name in your contact list, there's not a a person you see on the street, that God doesn't want to be at that banquet. He really wants them to be there. And that's His desire, that everyone calls, that everyone comes in. You know, this phrase, good and bad, it reminds us about the parable of the net and the fish. Because there was a sorting, the net was thrown out, the fish were gathered, but the good and the bad were separated. Now in, in the Greek, the, bad, the word bad there is the word rotten. But since it's talking about people, the word bad here is morally bad. They were evil. And so there, there's a sorting that takes place. But also, the final point, there was an accountability at the banquet. And that's really sort of the thought of the day. You know, God expects those to come to his ban- banquet to be dressed in a certain way. Have you ever looked in your closet and just thought you have nothing to wear? Now, there are various reasons for that. Maybe everything's in the, lo- the laundry bin, okay? Uh, the laundry hamper. Maybe everything's, everything's there. Uh, you know, if you have siblings, maybe everything's been borrowed. You know, so it's empty. Or, you know, as your children grow older, to be closer to your size, it's interesting, the sort of things that disappear out of your closet. I mean, not only did my son borrow things, though that's rare, but my daughter would borrow something. Oh, I like this. You know, so, uh, you know, different styles, different t- different times. But, you know, he the, the, the master of the banquet expected people to be dressed. The good news is, God supplies the clothing. The good news is, this isn't about you having to go make something. But you do have to put on what God has provided for you. And I want to look at a couple of scriptures that actually talk about us clothing ourselves. Sometimes this Greek word is translated putting on, but it's actually simply in that, that frame of mind. It is the putting on of clothes. It is clothing ourselves. Look over in Galatians chapter 3. Now this is a very interesting text. Because we know in baptism, God does something miraculous. In baptism, God places His Spirit in us. You can't do that. You, you can't grab God's Spirit and put it in you. There's nothing you can do to deserve that entry. God miraculously puts it in there. He promised He would do that and He does it. It is His work. But look what how Paul describes baptism and change here. And this is in uh, Galatians chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 26. It said, You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Now what's interesting here is being baptized is passive. In other words, someone else baptizes you. But the verb here is something you do to yourself. You clothe yourself. Now, where did the clothing come from? You can't clothe yourself with Christ before baptism. It doesn't work. But in baptism, you're given Christ. You're actually given a brand new wardrobe. You are now able to put on Christ in a brand new way. And it's an amazing picture uh, that you're baptized. Because in Christ, guess guess what happens? What are we clothed with before baptism? What are very best, we're clothed with our own righteousness, which Isaiah described as basically dirty rags. Okay, that, that's, that's, the, that's what we're clothed with. But in Christ, we can be clothed with Christ, and with Christ in us. And so, the, fun, the funny thing is, if you don't get rid of the clothes you have, you, you can't wear all your clothes, can you? Unless you only have one set. You know that the truth is, mornings have choices. Now you might wonder. I wear a lot of black because black matches with everything. At least so I'm told. Because I'm not really sure I understand how the whole thing works, anyways. Uh, but I have a few women in my life who do help me. But the truth is, we need to. We're baptized, and in that moment, we die in baptism. See, God does something in baptism, but we also do something in baptism. We die to ourselves. In baptism, If you don't die to yourself in baptism, repent from your sin, in fact, that's not baptism. If there's not a change of your heart that's being represented in the act of baptism, but it's there in your heart, then that's not baptism either. It isn't just hocus-pocus and God does something. You are cooperating with God, as we see that continually comes up in Matthew. You're cooperating with His plan. And so... You're now clothed in Christ, but you're clothed because you shed your clothes. You put to death yourself. Now, what's interesting is we'll see that we're encouraged throughout the New Testament to keep putting on Christ. Which means if you can put, if you need to be encouraged to keep putting him on, you can actually take him off. I'm not saying you lose the Holy Spirit in you. I'm saying you're deciding not to clothe yourself. Look at these scriptures, they're very encouraging. Matthew, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22. It says this, and we'll, yeah, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, See, he can say that with confidence because every Christian is taught this. If you weren't taught this, you weren't taught what baptism is. What baptism is, is the putting off of your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's what opens up to us as Christians a... a promise of eternal salvation and the power to change but really we have to understand it's a change of clothing because our sinful nature needs to keep being put to death why because it keeps waking up when you wake up in the morning it's not just your godliness that wakes up your sinful nature wakes up too and you know sometimes the question is which wakes up first sometimes one wakes up a little later than the other but you know the the fact is we've got to wake up and change how how does he describe it by putting on the new self he's made a new self but we've got to put it on we've got to clothe ourselves in it look over in Colossians chapter 12 sorry Colossians 3 verse 12 Colossians 3 verse 12 to 14 says here, therefore as God's chosen people, now just interestingly, uh, this is the same word as many are invited but few are chosen, just happens to come up right here, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on, again, the word, clothe yourself with love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We're clothing ourselves in Christ. What an amazing thing. But see, it's a decision we make. Clothing are a decision. Clothing we make decisions about. Now, you can't dress in something you don't have. But we've been given everything in Christ. We've got a new wardrobe. But you know, what's kind of happened is the old wardrobe still around. And we, we can actually choose to put on some old things if we want to. And hopefully we have friends around that say, Hey, why are you wearing that old stuff? Don't you have new stuff to put on? It's even said more clearly over in Romans chapter 13. Let's look there. Romans chapter 13. And we'll pick this up in verse 11. Romans 13, 11 says, And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Guess what? The banquet's nearer now than when we first became Christians. The banquet's nearer. That's encouraging. So the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Well, that's interesting. Clothing yourself with Christ is like clothing yourself with armor of light. Sounds like one of my son's video games right there. You know, some mighty soldier in this incredible armor. It's it's Christ. Look what he says. Let us behave decently, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ... And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. New said, Wake up, clothe yourself. And so that's really our, our thought of the day. We broke bread together, we drank the cup together to participate in remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, to think about his sacrifice. But he's here. The day of Pentecost a few thousand years ago Jesus poured himself out on this world He's here You've been baptized You've died to yourself, immersed in water You've actually received A gift And a new set of clothes Christ But you know There's a decision everyone makes To put on Christ Each day Nothing could be more encouraging than to have a little more Christ around, right? And that's it. That's our challenge to be of that mind, of that attitude, to the same, have the same heart that He had, to clothe ourselves with Him. It ended the parable ended with this phrase: Many are called, but few are chosen. And that's just a sad fact. Jesus repeated this many ways, the way is narrow, few there are that find it. He made that very clear that following Him is not easy. But he also made it clear, following Him is God's purpose for us. Following Him, you'll never be alone, because He'll be with you. He isn't just out there ahead, but He's with you in the moment. But following Him is a decision that we must make every day. You know, he used a a word in the parable... When he was looking back at those other people who didn't come, he said they didn't deserve to come. And in the Greek, this is the word worthy. They weren't worthy to come. Even though they were invited, they weren't worthy. I just want to close. I'm going to throw an extra scripture, not in your notes. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Because it connects this idea of dying to yourself and putting on Christ. It says in verse 37, Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So anyone who says to the invitation of the banquet, I'm too busy taking care of my family. i got a wife. i got children. Whatever. That's wrong. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. You know, Jesus has a clothing, what do you call those things? Uh, I know there's a little store in Houston Station, accessories. With Jesus' clothing comes an accessory. It's called a cross. That's part of the wardrobe. And we take that cross every day so that we can deny himself. Because this is what he said, if you don't do that, you're not worthy of me. Does God want us at the banquet? Absolutely. He's paid the price for our admission. He's actually supplied us with wedding clothes. So the decision is simply then to put on Christ each day to live the way that God has called us to by following His Son, Jesus. Let's pray as the worship team comes up and takes their place. Our Father in God, we thank You that You are the God who provides everything. And Father it is amazing that you've given us everything we need for life and godliness. And Father we're so grateful that we can be clothed in Christ that you've given us this clothing. And Father we're we're great we're grateful for this because we have already experienced such great joy and blessing from Christ himself and also from others who are clothed in him. There's been blessings of joy and compassion forgiveness renewal because of this presence of christ in our lives and father i just want to say that you are an amazing god if your view of everything that's been done has really only one purpose to bring people into your eternal banquet and i pray father that we'll just see how fortunate we are how blessed we are to have learned the truth that of what you have done for us and this invitation father i pray that we won't simply be those who are invited, but we'll be those who are chosen. And I pray that we we look at that as a cooperative thing in our covenant with you. That, Father, in response to your grace and your mercy, we completely res- uh, surrender our lives to you. Father, thank you. You've given us everything we need. Be with us this week. Help us to worship you in how we live. And as we get up each day and get dressed Help us just to be reminded of putting on your Son. That Father, we are in Him and He is in us. Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.